Evidence and Answers. Today we're going to listen to the first part of a message given by Musab Youssef. Musab is the eldest son of one of the founders of the terrorist group Hamas. Musab will share how he left Islam and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And through his testimony, he will also share a very important message for the church and our nation regarding the threat of Islam and the need to confront this challenge with strength, truth, and love. So let's join him as he begins his message today here on Evidence and Answers. I would like to give a brief background for people who don't know who I am so we can understand each other. I am coming from a Muslim background. My family is a leading family for the Islamic Sunni revolution in the world. My father is one of the founders of Hamas organization, considered as a terrorist organization in the United States and in many other countries. My name, Mus'ab, is after the Sahabi, Mus'ab ibn Umair, which is one of the best Muhammad's friends. He was the first Islamic ambassador. And my father named me Mus'ab 10 years before he got married. He had a huge expectation from me to be an Islamic ambassador at some point and to be one of Muhammad's best friends. I'm sorry to say that I had to disappoint my dad. I am not a friend of Muhammad and I am not a friend of Mustafa. I think we are enemies and we are in a fight. I was born in that environment, and my people, my nation, my family wanted me to be something. I choose to be something else. Many people are disappointed. Many people are doubtful. Some people consider me as a hero, and some people consider me as a traitor. And I am the type of person that is very hard to trust, I'm telling you. I worked for the Israeli intelligence for 10 years when we used to have a regular meeting for a cup of coffee. We had to have at least 30 security guards in that meeting. Undercover, secret underground places. I won't blame any one of you if you doubt me as long as I doubt God sometimes. So if you doubt what I'm saying, you are forgiven. And I am not offended. Now let's get to the point, or to the points. I explained how I ended up working for the Israelis. I gave my motivations in an honest way. I am sorry that I can't go through this again. It's available in my book. And if you don't want to buy the book, I won't be offended. Thank God that it's an international bestseller. <laughs> and thank God that it's translated to more than 20 different languages. And it's published in more than 50 countries. And it's going to be made into two movies. 
But if you, if you can't afford buying the book, uh, you can find lots of information about my background. There are witnesses who lived my reality, who were with me in the fight against terrorism for 10 years. They're still alive. They have been on TV. They witnessed and they confirmed every word I said. You cannot come up with a story like this and get away with it. <laughs> I would like to start talking a little about deception, since I was part of that world, the world of deception. For 10 years, the Israeli intelligence made of me a lie. I personally was a lie, not a small one, a huge one. And we had to deceive lots of people. And we had no other choice but to deceive people in order to save people's lives. Did I like that job? Honestly, I am addicted to it, and I love it. But it's a curse at the same time, because you get to see things that most people don't see. And it's very hard, very tough on a person's soul, especially if you try to be honest all the time. And you see people who are deceived, but you can't tell them that they are deceived, because you will blow your cover. My job was to wear a terrorism outfit all the time, to be a terrorist, to pretend in order to get to the most dangerous circles within terrorist organizations. For that, I say deception is reality. Let me give you an example. I had information about five suicide bombers. They came looking for help. They lost their connection in Hamas movement and the Hamas military wing in the West Bank. They were asking for help. Part of my strategy was to isolate my father and become the connecting point between him and the outside world. My cover was, or my reason, was that I wanted to protect you. I am the only person that you can trust. I put you in this safe house. If you want to communicate with your movement, it has to be through me. I promise you that I'm not going to open any letter. Now, all the Hamas and terrorist group communication had to come through me all the time. Now, those terrorists lost their connection, and they're looking for someone else to give them shelter, to give them money, to give them orders. They had car full of explosives. They stopped by our house in Ramallah, where my mother lives, my little brothers, myself. My father was not there. He was supposedly in the safe house where the Israelis knew about his location all the time. But he thought that he was in a safe house. And he had no idea that his oldest son is one of the most dangerous agents who work against his organization. Now, those suicide bombers come into our house, 
try to step into my shoes for a second. And I asked, what do you want? They said, we want Sheikh Hassan. I said, who are you? They said, simply, we need help. I told them, you can't get to Sheikh Hassan. You have to tell me who you are and what you need, and I will try to help you. They said, they asked me who I was. I told them, I am his oldest son. You can trust me. I look into the car, and I see a bunch of rifles and explosive belts. That was, I think, enough to blow up the entire neighborhood. They suppose to go on a suicide mission a few hours later. They lost their connection. They don't have a safe house. They were afraid that the Israelis will discover their location. So they came asking for help. In that situation, as a Shin Beit agent and intelligence agent in the field behind the enemy lines, you don't have an iPhone. Oh, hold on a second. Let me text my Shin Beit handler and tell him that I have suicide bombers and see what we're going to do. The first thing that you have to act, you can't lose track of those people. If you lose them, they're going to kill hundreds of people in a matter of hours. You have to hold on them. I took my wallet. I didn't take a permission from anybody. I gave them money, and I told them about a safe place where they can go and rent. And I took their car. I gave them my personal car. I had to take their guns. They said, where are you going with the guns? I told them, I'm sorry, you cannot take the guns because you will get people's attention. But here's my personal gun. You can't take it. And I gave them my personal gun, and I took their rifles. I took a car full of explosive, and I put it in our garage. <laughs> I am sure when my mother read my book, she was not. Besides, besides that, I brought lots of shame on the family. She was not happy about that fact. In fact, I was not happy about it. But I had to take that risk. Anyway, I, I don't want to go through details how we got rid of the, that car. But the guys were in a safe house. And I informed the Shem Beit, the Israeli intelligence, about their location. The Israeli prime minister decided in less than 30 minutes to drop a bomb on their place. This is the easiest way to deal with a suicide bomber. You don't go into a place that has suicide bombers and they have some explosives and weapons and try to arrest them. This way you risk the life of many troops. And if they are arrested, who helped them to stay in that safe house? It was me. And Israel does not tolerate anybody who collaborate with suicide bombers. So was I ready to go to prison for 15 years just for helping suicide bombers or get killed in the Palestinian streets if I got discovered? I said no. I was a new believer of Jesus Christ. In fact, I was not even baptized during that time. But I wanted to challenge the wisdom of Jesus Christ, that there was no biblical base for killing even a terrorist. 
I wanted them just to disappear. Because I knew that I put myself in lots of trouble. But I couldn't approve their death. And I said to the decision of the Prime Minister of Israel at that time, Ariel Sharon, of course, he didn't know who I was. But I said no. And I don't want to say that I threatened, but that was very clear. If you drop a bomb on those guys, it's going to be my last operation. Now, I am not saying that I had morals more than the Israeli intelligence. What I'm saying, that I wanted to challenge the wisdom of Jesus Christ to the maximum and see if that works. Well, the guys were arrested. We blocked the house. I'm not going to go through details, but we've, we did some James Bond stuff. I'm trying not to play a hero here, but it's, it's real. We've done maybe more than what you see on TV or movies. We've done things. Now, we're listening in. They went to sleep. Troops came behind enemy lines, undercover. We surrounded the building, blew up the main door, the second door, arrested four of them. One of them jumped on the special forces from the kitchen window, and he was killed. It was absolutely his fault. <laughs> he was a brother of a friend of mine that I met in prison. And I lived in the same prison with him in the same tent for about 10 months. So I knew the person and uh, I knew his brother. Anyway, in the Jeep, on their way to the detention center, one of the suicide bombers confessed that I was the person who helped them with a safe house. And that was bad news for everybody. Because Israel really does not tolerate this type of problems. And if I am not arrested, shortly, this means that I give the information. And any Palestinian person with a gun would kill me in the streets of Ramallah without judge order. It was a very intense and difficult situation. Now, we had to play something, I call it in the book, the game, a Hollywood game, to fool everybody. And this is why I'm trying to tell you deception is reality. And I'm saying this story because I want to go to how deception works in our world today. Now, I am an agent my life in danger, and they have to give me the best possible cover without arresting me because I have to stay in the area. I can't leave the area. I have all the connections, and this is not the last five suicide bombers group who are trying to kill Israelis. We have many suicide bombers. We have many Palestinian factions who are trying very hard to harm Israel and kill civilians. I had to be there. The Israeli Shimbe didn't want me to go to prison as a prize for arresting five suicide bombers and stopping the death of hundreds of people and go to jail, spend 15 years as a gift or as a prize. That was unfair. So intelligence has to do some deception. We had no other choice. 
I am not saying that it's justified, but sometimes you have no other choice. They informed the Israeli intelligence, informed the Israeli army, the IDF. We have a big terrorist, and we know that he's coming to visit his mother. He's the son of a top terrorist of Hamas in the West Bank. He's coming tonight, for example, at 7.30. We need to be ready. All special forces, tanks, choppers in the sky, everybody's ready. No joke. And the army takes the commands of the intelligence seriously. Now, the Shin Bet could not go and tell the army, but take it easy because this guy works for us and we're playing a game. <laughs> in fact, just few people in the intelligence service knew about my existence. Maybe not more than five people knew about all this game and operation. Of course, it is somewhere on the Israeli intelligence files. Maybe they will expose it or publish it 20 years from now. Hopefully, God will give us the life you know, that we have to see it, if it's that important. To me, it will be important. And everybody is ready. Few people knew about that operation. My part was to come to my family pretend that I'm coming to visit my mother. When I get a certain sign, I take my rifle and run outside as fast as I can. I have 30 seconds. If I am late, I am done. I could be killed by the Israeli special forces by mistake. I could not make a small mistake. 30 seconds, that's all you have. I turned on my car. I prepared a safe place for myself. I start to drive toward the city center. In 30 seconds, Israeli special forces using Palestinian cars, Palestinians' outfit, kefiyas, all the things that you see on TV, came and surrounded the, the house, ready to kill or arrest. I was not there. They trusted in the world, in the word of the Shembet, the Israeli intelligence. Now, in few minutes, I arrived to the, my safe house. I put on TV. And the Israeli special forces are surrounding our house. My mother is inside. My brothers are inside. I couldn't tell my mom, you know, just go and visit your sister tonight. <laughs> Part of the plan was to convince my mother that everything is okay, to act normally. No sweating, no worrying, eating hummus. <laughs> everything is okay. Everything is normal. Now. The Israeli special forces are outside, and 10 minutes later, the Israeli tanks came into the area. Why 10 minutes later? Because if the Israeli tanks came at first, they're noisy, and people would know that the Israelis are coming. So all terrorists would change their locations. Now, usually, special forces come first, undercover, second, tanks, jeeps, and if needed, helicopters. You know how this goes from maybe watching movies. And that was a real movie. It was, not, it was a fake operation just to deceive people and give me cover. Anyway, special forces came. They start to call my name. Now, CNN International, Al Jazeera, Al Arabiya, all Arab 
and international TVs in Ramallah thought that my father is going to be arrested because he was wanted for three years, wanted. The Israeli intelligence knew about his location all the time, and he thought that he was in a good hide, in a good cave, but he was not. In fact, he owes his life for the Israelis. Today, he is the top Hamas leader in the West Bank, and there is something that he needs to deal with that the Israelis that he was hiding from protected his life. And they were trustworthy. Now, but media knew that Sheikh Hassan was hiding for a long time and the Israelis could not arrest him. So now they're surrounding his house, which means there must have solid information that he's in the house. Now, all the cameras are broadcasting live from our house. Now I am in my safe place, looking at TV, seeing my house, seeing the Israeli forces and tanks coming into the area, and Palestinian militia groups surrounding the Israelis. And I start to regret. I said, Jesus failed. I wish that we dropped the bomb on that house and we didn't have to go through all this. My little brother Nasser is in danger right now. My mother is in danger. What if the crazy Palestinian faction people start to shoot at the Israelis right now and we have as a result 50 people or 100 people killed because of this crazy game? Now they're calling for my name, not for my father's name, and I hear this on TV. And now they start to report, it seems that the Israelis are trying to arrest the son of Hassan Yusuf, not Hassan Yusuf himself. Now the son of Hassan Yusuf is not in the house. Interrogators, my family start to get out of the house and interrogators start to ask my mother about if I was in the house. My mother said, I am honest with you, he left 30 seconds ago. Who is investigating my mom? My Shimbet handler who did the whole game. And he had to make it look 100% real. Okay, I am not surrendering. This means I'm dangerous. I helped suicide bombers and I had a car full of explosives, which means that my house is full of explosives. The Israeli soldiers start to shoot randomly on every window. In my room, I have more than 150 bullets till today from that operation. It didn't end on that level. They launched a missile. They burned half of the house. And I'm looking at the whole thing on TV, praying that my family would be safe. Anyway, I was not there. There was a big failure for the Israeli intelligence and the Israeli army. The army got so mad that they couldn't put a hand on me. In fact, they told the Israeli intelligence, my handler, they told him, if we catch this guy, we're gonna kill him. This is how mad they were at me. Who were the victims of this entire game? Media, TV, everyone who watched the TV, my family, 
the Israeli army, Israeli politicians, and almost everybody except few people in the intelligence. Just to live that type of experience, I ask myself every time I see something on TV, is this what's really happening or something else? That was a big deal. That was just to move an army like this, this would cost millions of dollars, just to let you know. That's not an easy thing. I was safe. I became fugitive who escaped the grip of the Israeli army and intelligence. And this gave me a huge title in Hamas. And I became wanted and I needed help. So where I hang out, I hang out with all Hamas wanted people. We exposed all their locations and we worked to the core of the movement during that time. Finally, I got tired and I asked the Israelis to arrest me just to finish school because I had the last semester at university and I needed to move on in my life. I was arrested for six months as a prize. I hope that you were inspired by that message by Musab Youssef. He definitely has a powerful story, but a very important message regarding the threat of Islam. I want to encourage you to go to evidenceandanswers.org and listen to our past shows by our experts on Islam and read our articles so that you may be informed and equipped to meet the challenge of Islam. Check out our resources today, and I encourage you to also support this ministry with your prayer and financial support. So go to evidenceandanswers.org today. And thank you for joining us this week. I look forward to being with you next week as we listen to the second part of his message.